You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to The Sound of Sanity. We're talking Mott, we're talking Bailey, we're talking the Mott and Bailey fallacy today. Don't want to know what that is? We're going to tell you. My name is Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. There's Ben. He's your scholar who's a baller of reading? No, not that. I don't know. We've got to come up with something. The, the, the audience is waiting. He is a magnificent specimen of masculine Christianity. I, I can live with that. <laughs> <laughs> ben... Speaking of magnificent specimens of masculine Christianity, there's another one in this room. Where? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> there's also another guy. No, just kidding. Ben, there's the man, the myth, the legend, and you need to introduce that guy. It's Pastor Jake Mensel. Hey, guys. I guess I should just say a mutual friend of ours, somebody that we used to go to church with back before we started planting this church in Evansville forwarded to some of the pastors in Evangel Presbytery, which Church of the King is being planted by this fallacy. Or just the, the We're not being planted by any fallacy. Yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Did I mangle my introduction there? So it sounded like Yeah, no. Okay. A friend of ours named Andrew sent us an email that contained a link to the Wikipedia of this fallacy, because he said it had really helped him understand what was going on and, and what a lot of people were going through. So there's some props to him. This isn't new with us. But we want to talk about the Mott and Bailey fallacy, because once you're aware of this, you will see it everywhere. everywhere. All the, time. Uh, the way it basically works is you advance a controversial opinion, something way out there, or advance a controversial position. And then you have a retreat or fallback position that is some way of nuancing or hedging your bets on, on the first proposition. Mm -hmm. So that when anybody attacks the controversial position, you fall back to your fallback position. So the controversial position is the Bailey and the fallback position is the Mott. So it always involves talking out of both sides of your mouth. Mm -hmm. this, this action is a clear violation of the Ten Commandments, but also it's a matter of conscience. Mm -hmm. Well, those are, those are two mutually exclusive points, right? Mm -hmm. a, a violation of the Ten Commandments cannot also be a violation of conscience. Right. It's one or the other. You mean merely a violation of uh, conscience? Merely a yeah. violation of conscience, yes, right? right. Yeah. So you make a controversial claim, this is a violation of the Ten, of the ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And then when people say, no, it's not, you say, well, I said it was a matter of conscience. My conscience believes that it is, but yours can be that it's, it's not. And, you know, right. it's just a thing. But that's just a really weaselly, deceptive way to argue. Because what you've done then is you've advanced your controversial position in a way that nobody can argue with it. Mm -hmm. And nobody can deal with it. And you can have plausible deniability, but it's still out there in the field. You just can't be dealt with. Right. The right. standard kind of article you might see in the political or, or so social sphere is an article that starts out like everyone has in internalized racism. 
systemic racism is everywhere. No exceptions, no exclusions. And then, of course, because that's an untenable position, somewhere in the article, there will be some exceptions and exclusions. And if you try and go back to that person and say, well, I thought you said that systemic racism is absolutely everywhere. They'll say, no, no, no. I said, like, you know, everybody has a different whatever. I think I find it helpful. I saw a diagram of this. So I find it helpful. Now I think of the actual Mott, the tower standing on a hill. Yes, overlooking. This. So this oh, is like a castle. That's right. A Mott's, a Mott's like a keep. Like think of a single tower and they're beneath the tower somewhere. Think, you know, it's a watchtower uh, is a tiny little village, like a tiny village, like square foot, small square footage. And that's the Bailey. Mm-hmm. Any, and the Bailey, right, is the untenable position, the thing you can't really defend or that would be super hard to defend. And it's controversial. But the mot, the tower, is going to always protect that. And it's just going to play defense for what you wanted to play defense for, just the way the tower would have defended the little village connected to it. Yeah. So, I mean, in politics, the way you see this sort of thing is, you know, all conservatives or all Christians are Nazis and white supremacists, and their children need to be taken to re-education camps, and they need to be exterminated or treated as violent extremists or whatever. Wildly, like out there stuff you you always find you know a handful of nuanced positions Mm -hmm. where if ever they're pressed or caught in a corner they have their escape clause and they only have to defend you know allegations of voter fraud work this way Mm -hmm. there's no widespread voter fraud okay well that word widespread is because it doesn't have to be widespread for it to swing an election but you see how this sort of thing works. Yeah, and what you'll find with these articles mm-hmm. is that it's not like the Mott and the Bailey are equally representative. Represented. That might be a little bit more honest, or it might just negate the mm-hmm. the Bailey. But what you'll find is the tone, the tenor, the thing that the average person just reading the article or just skimming Takes away, the article understands, knows what you think. The headline, in fact, of the article That's often right. is. Yeah. The Bailey, it's right? The, the, big, yeah. the big, bold claim, you know, all conservatives should be deplatformed before they destroy our country. That's what you walk away with. But buried in there somewhere is... All the ways that, you know, there are exceptions and spaces and... Yeah, but the actual connotation of the article, the actual thing that the average reader is And what it's to, trying to condition you to believe or accept mm-hmm. or the pressure it wants you to feel is conservatives should be deplatformed, all of them, without exception. Right. An interesting wrinkle to this that we were discussing as we prepared for this episode is that sometimes the mot, you know, the nuanced position can even sort of just be assumed. It can be something that, oh, of course, any any reasonable person knows such and such. <laughs> yeah. And so obviously I wasn't saying the big, bold, crazy thing that I just put in a headline. Said. <laughs> just <laughs> right. literally said. That's it. I think we all do it to each other all the time without realizing it. That's another thing we were saying. It's like, as soon as you think about that, you're like, oh, I probably do that. Well, I want to distinguish between this and I'm wary, uh, you know, people say uh, Jordan Peterson has one of his rules is speak accurately or something like that. Uh, Speak, I don't know, use accurate language. Uh, You know, uh, people in the manosphere like to berate each other for not using (laughs) accurate. Be precise in your speech. Be precise in your speech. There Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. People like to berate each other for not being precise in your speech. And obviously, all over the internet and in, in private, in the private sector, and the public sector, we could all use Stan to be more precise in our speech. Now, that being said, I think when you're in the middle of an argument with somebody or when you're, say, for example, doing a podcast, I want to make a little bit of space for the fact that everyone engages in hyperbole. 
everyone engages in generalizations. It's actually not possible, nor is it, I think, desirable to be, to be precise mm-hmm. all the time. You, you, actually, you have to actually have the freedom to be a little sloppy or otherwise you're not going to be able to articulate your thoughts and mm-hmm. where lines really are and where they stand. And, and so that's not to, you know, I'm sure we've done Mott and Bailey in bad ways on this podcast before. I'm sure we've, we've probably, you can probably dig up some place where we've asserted something pretty bold, colored it in with some nuances. And then if you came back and said, well, actually this bold thing, when you look at the nuances, don't. I don't know that we've done that, but you know, I just I'm sure prob- where, where, where there are many words, there's sin. It's you know? it's also rhetorical, right? So if you're going to try to be persuasive and make people interested in what you have to say, which we're not interested in those things, but if we were, mm-hmm. we'd probably <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> end up making more some... popular. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> what else is there to say? What were we talking about? <laughs> I don't know. We would probably end up what? There's a good use to being controversial. And sometimes you could slip over into being unfair, I'm sure. Well, for example, Jake's been teaching through the Sermon on the Mount at Church of the King, our little church plant here in Evansville. The Sermon on the Mount is full of unequivocal, scary That's right. language that provides no nuance. <laughs> what, yeah, if no you, escape clauses. Yeah, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, well, are there some places where we shouldn't actually cut off our right arm? Yeah, but... Does, did Jesus bother to... Didn't bother. Didn't bother? Was that bad rhetoric on his part? Should he have been more precise in his language? Was that a modern band? Was that a modern band? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. There's a place for being unequivocal, for being unnuanced on purpose. And that gets to the heart of the matter. And that's why when it's done badly, you're trying to identify the heart of the matter with these bold claims. Like, that broke all Ten Commandments. That's the heart of the matter. And then you're like, well... But I want to leave room for your conscience because what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you which is it? Yeah, it's got to be one of the other guys. Yeah, you're a false prophet, probably. But also, I really like you and support you, and you know, I'm just only pointing that out because I'm I want to encourage you. Okay, I don't think I feel encouraged yet. But <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a this is a sin of. Young men often, and a sin of men who are trying to be you know, manly, re- recover masculine discourse. Oh, I, I need to assert things boldly, and so if mm-hmm. I if I have to rebuke Jake, then you know there's no reason to say, well, you could have worked a little harder on that thing. I should say you're a lazy bum. Yeah, you, that's actually more you manly. Put it into the hilt, man. You're gonna poke someone with the sword. Just stab it all the way in there. Yeah, but Jake's not a lazy bum. He just should have worked harder on that one particular thing. That one particular thing. Yeah, and I mean, that whole false prophet thing was a real example, right? That kind of thing does happen. And it is, you know, by guys who I think in this case probably really did mean well, Mm -hmm. but is just really confused in his, you know, what constitutes helpful questioning of somebody's motives Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or actions. I, I had to work through that a lot. I mean, and I've told some stories in some other places. You can listen to our... Between the Lions, Psalm 8 discussion, another podcast, to hear a pretty infamous story of Nathan thinking that he needed to go full bore at something that in no way, shape, or form required the kind of vitriol and (laughs) intense invective that he was bringing to it. It's it's an easy thing to do as a young man, especially an insecure one who's trying to be godly. So I suppose we should have some patience for it. But eh. It is something to grow out of, and it is something to not do intentionally. 
And it is a wicked thing when you are intentionally and carefully to be to be carefully wrong is the height of decadence, as Chesterton or C.S. Lewis or somebody said. So we have an example, and this example is from a month ago. This is not a current. And part of why we decided to do an episode just on this fallacy is because we're looking through things that we talked about doing or wanted to do or that people wanted us to do. And this is this is when they got by us and was a little stale. Yeah. And so dealing with this article in particular may not be so helpful right now, but it's a good example of this exact kind of fallacy. Right. And it, it helps illustrate what we're talking about. So this was by Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer is who? Mm, he's a professor at Wheaton. He leads the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. So he has... He's a massive figure in Southern Baptist church planning. You can't be Southern Baptist or just tr- in church planning in general without having 5,000 Ed Stetzer books and articles shoved mm. in your face all the time. Mm. So no matter what else, this guy and what he says in the article we'll talk about has a lot of clout with a lot of evangelicals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and this article was definitely making the rounds. and, and It was really, in USA Today. Yeah, it was in USA Today. It was really provoking people. So it's called Evangelicals Face a Reckoning, Donald Trump and the Future of Our Faith by Ed Stetzer. And I'll just read some excerpts here. So it starts out, no one likes to admit they were fooled. It's tough to admit we were wrong. Now many evangelicals are seeing President Donald Trump for who he is, but more need to see what he has done to us. It is time for an evangelical reckoning. I call Bailey on that. <laughs> yes, this this would be the Bailey. So I'm not going to read this whole article, but if you go through the article, basically what he's saying is that a reckoning has come. Evangelicals have failed because we all supported President Trump, and now we're going to reap what we've sown. Mm-hmm. And it's on all of us except for him, right? Because he was sounding uh, the alarm was, the whole time standing alone sounding the alarm with a handful of other people writing articles and books some of which you can go buy through this link right yeah he does say that ed stetzer was chicken little and he knew the sky was gonna fall so he says sentences like the following throughout the article quote tempted by power and trapped within a culture war theology too many evangelicals tied their fate to a man who embodied neither their faith nor their vision of political character. As a result, we are finally witnessing an evangelical reckoning, unquote. Or there's this one, quote, the past decade has offered near daily examples of people co-opting the gospel for sinful ends. Racism, nationalism, sexism, and a host of other sins have found purchase within the evangelical movement in both overt and subtle expressions, unquote. Quote, the foundation of our reckoning was laid far before Trump. Committed to reaching the world, the evangelical movement has emphasized the evangelistic and pietistic elements of this mission. However, it has failed to connect the mission to justice and politics. The result of this discipleship failure has led us to a place where not only our people, but also many of our leaders were easily fooled and co-opted by a movement that ended with the storming of the U.S. Capitol. Unquote. So, sentences like those and others in the article would be the... Bailey. Bailey, the big bold claim. But then towards the end, like in, and oftentimes it is buried in one of the last yeah. paragraphs of the article. Big big bold claims that still have some nuance of their own to them, but big bold claims that aren't ever actually even defended. They're just asserted mm-hmm. in the course of the article. Yeah, no examples, no see this or that or that. No, he's not interested in arguing or making 
a defense of these claims. He's interested in asserting them. Right. I read the thing about sexism, nationalism. He doesn't give any examples. And it's not like you couldn't dig up some stuff that would be pretty compelling, but he doesn't bother to do it. Then, towards the end of the article, though, there's this little paragraph. Quote, I don't believe that everyone who voted for Trump was fooled or foolish. And Trump voters are not Trump. They are not responsible for all of his actions over the past four years, but they are responsible for the ways they responded for their own hearts. Unquote. Okay, so are we responsible or not if we voted for Donald Trump in 2016? Which is it? Are we responsible and there's a reckoning and it's on all of us or are we not? Right. You're responsible. The whole article is if you voted for Trump and supported Trump and supported his policies and were grateful for his policies, then the reckoning is the upon reckoning you. Is upon you. Yeah. But also, not everyone who voted for Trump is responsible for Trump. So if I ask the question, if I go up to Ed Stetzer and say, I voted for Donald Trump in 2016, which I actually didn't, but if I did, I guess I should also say I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016. <laughs> that is a good thing <laughs> to say. That is a good thing to say. But Jake, you're not Hillary Clinton. You're just responsible for your heart and your, how you respond to her. Right. So even if you had, it would be okay. I right, mean, except probably. for the reckoning. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> I voted third party because I live in Indiana and I didn't trust Trump and wanted to make a statement against the system, which was all but pointless. So, no, I was just on the phone with the system. It was really cowed by you. <laughs> Man, that one guy in Indiana <laughs> really put us on our heels. We voted for Daryl Castle. <laughs> uh, yeah. party. <laughs> That's right. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, okay, but if you reading that article, go and say, oh, so Ed, it sounds like you're really bagging me for voting for Donald Trump, but the alternative was Hillary Clinton. There are a lot of good things that Trump did in office that would have never happened with Hillary Clinton in office. And and I did in my private and public witness stand against the bad things about Trump. It wasn't an either or proposition, actually. It never had to be. You say, well, well, did you read to the end? Did you read the whole thing? See, yeah, but you said all this other stuff. Yeah, but I said the thing at the end. No, but you need to defend the fact that what you basically said was I'm responsible. No, I didn't. I explicitly said that you weren't responsible. Mm -hmm. Okay, but then what's the point of your article? Well, there are other people out there that are responsible. Okay, who are they? Not a single person could did come. They, did they read USA Today? <laughs> Not a single person could come to Ed Stetzer. Mm -hmm. and say, defend this. Mm -hmm. he's, he's always got that posi that fallback position. Now, it may be that, a that there's somebody out there that he'd look at and say, no, you are the man. But he didn't do that work in this article. Yeah. What he actually did was give every individual reader the right to say the article doesn't apply to him, but it does apply to the boogeyman. The unwashed masses. The unwashed masses out there. Yeah. Which is a which really is sneaky thing to do. Including you, but not you specifically. Which is exactly the same thing when you read a piece on systemic racism. Somehow they managed to split the difference so you can kind of pat yourself on the back by the end of the article and say, okay, good, well, everybody's systemically racist and everything is systemically racist and I have internalized racism. But also me and the guy that wrote the article. We're aware of it, so. We're pretty okay. Yeah. yeah I feel like this is the disclaimer at the end of the drug ad of arguments 
you know, it's the mm. the ad where you see the old lady going up a mountain because she took Extronicol and now she's like <laughs> in good shape. Side effects include. Yeah, side effects may include cancer, death, and bleeding out of your eyes. And that kind of thing. <laughs> and the old lady comes and she's like, I thought I was going to go biking up a mountain. I'm bleeding out of my eyes. <laughs> we said so in the ad. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> Uh, I communicated one thing. <laughs> yes, exactly. You didn't show someone biking up a mountain while bleeding out of their eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Martin Bailey is a way of equivocating. It's a way of giving you a distinction without a difference. Like, mm-hmm. oh, well, everyone's responsible, except you're not responsible for Trump. Only for your own heart. But there, but you are responsible and there is a reckoning. Well, what's the difference between... Not being responsible for Trump and being responsible in my heart about Trump. What are you even saying? What does that even mean? Yeah, it's the kind of thing where talking about it almost feels dumb because mm-hmm. it's so obvious. It's just, oh, well, somebody says two different things. Yeah. And that's all we're talking about. Like That's it. But when you say two different things at length, using a bunch of words, rhetoric and stuff. Yeah, and, and insinuating the Bailey mm-hmm. uh, more than you outright say it. Yeah insinuating the big controversial claim although i don't know this isn't subtle or anything <laughs> no it's not subtle but he's doing a lot of his work through connotation and he is using the es- es- escape of denotation that's bad everybody knows what ed Stetzer meant and everybody feels it and the average person reading this article knows that a bunch of evangelical rubes were idiots for voting for trump so i guess the takeaway is don't read ed Stetzer. That was why we did this article. Okay, good. We wanted to dig up a a month-old thing and take it down. No, we wanted people to be aware of the Martin Bailey fallacy. You can look it up and read more examples, and it'll be helpful for you. Anything else to say about the Martin Bailey fallacy, Jake? Mm, Only this. You are literally Hitler. Me? I feel like that's a pretty bold claim. But also a pretty good guy. Oh, good. Yeah, and you don't have Hitler's mustache. Okay, well... That makes it a little better, at least for me. You know, I'm not Hitler, though. I, didn't, I said that you're a pretty good guy. Hitler's evil. Oh, man. Well, okay. I didn't I, say that you were evil. I, I thought I could argue against your claim. Guy. But I guess I can't, because you said I was a pretty good guy. So... <laughs> yeah. I guess I'm Hitler. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You guys want to take over the world? Literally Hitler. <laughs> you want to do this? <laughs> well. All right. Uh, Heil me. <laughs> I knew it. Jake. Jake called it. <laughs> Bye, folks. Sound of Sanity produced by uh, me. Executive produced by Jake and me. Associate produced by Ben. Go to patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity to listen to some great Sanity Bites episodes. <laughs> There's an awesome one today. Oh, oh boy. If you want to hear how depressed we were coming into this episode, <laughs> then go listen. It's a lot of fun. Patreon.com forward slash Sound of Sanity. A couple bucks a month from you could do a lot for us. Until next time. Stay sane. Stay sane.